Refraction AI is a company that I've been following since 2019, and I promise you, today is not the last time you'll hear about them on this podcast. But to give you a little introduction into the world of robot deliveries, we sat down with the CEO of Refraction to tell us all about it. It's the Benefit of a Doubt podcast. Hello and welcome to the Benefit of a Dowd podcast. I'm your host, Adam Dowd, and this week we're taking a look at one of the most common consumer uses of robots that you'll find today, autonomous last-mile deliveries. Refraction AI is a startup based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, founded by two robotics professors that looks to make a fundamental change in how robotic deliveries are made. Sure, drones are sexy and cars have bigger capacity, but both of those things can also kill you. Not so much with Refraction AI and Rev1. One. Also, for this week's Tech Yeah segment, we're taking a look at the latest project from Skunkworks office in Lockheed Martin. And we're talking about a book that I read on the subject, which was fascinating. And we'll get to all that. But first, we need to dive into the news of the week. Apple keeps shrugging off this pandemic stuff and making just a ton of money, and last quarter was no exception. For the first time since 2016, Apple took the top spot in global smartphone shipments with almost 80 million shipments in Q4 of 2020. For the record, Apple didn't even introduce the iPhone Pro until almost a month into that quarter, so in a word, yikes. Apple has moved itself into a position where it can ship a phone for nearly every budget now, with the iPhone SE taking up the low end and the iPhone 12 Pro Max on the very, very high end. That's not really new, but in a time when people were looking for more value for their dollar, I could see an argument about why the iPhone ships very well. They, frankly, last forever, and they... just work. I'd argue that the Pixel 4a gives you a better experience, but what do I know? I just sent my Pixel 4a to Samsung. It remains to be seen how Samsung will respond to this news, but respond it really has to, because Samsung really should hold an advantage in this arena with more market penetration, a higher marketing budget, and frankly the best camera system that you can buy on a phone right now. In short, Samsung's probably pretty pissed, and it'll be interesting to see what it mocks Apple for this quarter before, you know, it does the same thing a year from now. Of course, speaking of value for the dollar, Samsung announced this week that all Galaxy-branded devices from 2019 and forward will receive security updates for four years, and that's very not bad. While Apple phones tend to run better over the long term than Android, at least knowing that devices will be secure for four years is pretty huge. And by the way, that includes budget phones and tablets as well, but I noticed watches were not on the list. I mean, I know they don't run Android, but still, I want my watch to get updates too. Come on, Samsung, what's up with that? Of course, the speed at which phones will receive those updates is a little bit of a caveat. After all, my Galaxy S21 Ultra is still on the January 1 Google Play update. I mean, it's only just now March, so I'm not going to harp, but if you're going to make a promise like this, you got to back it up, and it helps if you start backing it up with your top-of-the-top-of-the-line phones. Just a thought. Gamers, one of these days you're going to have to explain to me the benefits of announcing crap way, way, way in advance of, you know, 
actually shipping a project. The reason I bring this up is on February 23rd, Sony announced that its next generation VR headset will have an improved field of view, better resolution, and just a single cord to make it easier to use. Sounds great, right? Sure, but then Sony went on to say that it won't come out this year and just why? Like, I know it's been like two or three presidents since you last released a VR headset, but that doesn't mean you have to jump the gun like this. It's February, and any frenzy you whip up now will be gone in, what, two or three weeks? And the same, and this is more of a general rant, the same goes for game announcements. And I'm just going to throw out a name here, Cyberpunk. The game released a trailer in 2018, and it won over 100 awards at that time. An unreleased game won awards people and in 2019 it was the talk of e3 and it was still 18 months away from release when it was released it was basically a dumpster fire according to most people and like what the hell people maybe you just shouldn't whip yourself up into a fury 30 months beforehand because i promise you with that much anticipation anything you offer anything you offer will disappoint it can't not disappoint this is why I'm not a gamer, I guess, because none of that industry makes any damn sense to me. But maybe it makes sense to pigs because scientists have discovered that pigs can play video games with their snouts. Four pigs, who are adorably named Hamlet, Omelette, Ebony, and Ivory were trained to use a joystick to direct a cursor on screen into walls. The pigs played the game, and when they completed a level, they got a treat. But here's the cool part. When the food dispenser broke, they continued to play. Like, what? When the food dispenser broke, the scientists instead gave them encouragement. The pigs are like, hey, you like me? Okay, I'll continue to make you like me. You know, it's... Kind of like what I do on this podcast. The scientist said that the fact that the pigs were able to make a connection of movements of a joystick and the cursor on the screen was no small feat. More like small hooves, am I right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. But the fact that pigs are intelligent comes as no surprise. Indeed, a local pig farmer commented that anyone who works with pigs can tell they're smart. But now the question remains, if you're a gamer and you eat bacon, isn't that on some level a form of cannibalism? And just like that, there's more bacon for me. Lenovo unveiled its next generation of X, T, P, and L series laptops this week, and I think there's a decent chance that I'll be looking at one or two of them. The most notable of the upgrades is with the Lenovo X13 and X13 Yoga. The processors are being upgraded with 11th generation Tiger Lake Intel chips or AMD Ryzen 5000 Pro options. Lenovo is also adding Wi-Fi 6E for 6GHz support, and they're also adding internals for 4G and sub 6 5G options as well. Lenovo is also moving most of its laptops today to the 16 by 10 aspect ratio with taller displays, fingerprint sensors on the power button, and a human presence detection via IR and visual cameras. The L series is the least expensive of these computers, starting at just $689. The L series will also have LTE options and as much as 1 terabyte or 2 terabyte of SSD or hard drive respectively. Base model comes with a forgettable 1366 by 768 panel, but you can upgrade that to Full HD. This is basically a Lenovo 
Lenovo offering a base model that no one will ever want so that they can say the laptops start at $689 rather than the $850 or $900 laptops that you'll actually want. Everyone does this, so this week's podcast shrug goes to Lenovo. We've known for a long time that TCL has dozens of foldable concepts in development and that TCL is planning to launch a foldable into the market this year. Well, one concept that TCL has shown off is the idea of a double foldable, and I gotta say, it's not what I pictured. So imagine an iPad with a fold down the middle that folds in like a Galaxy Fold, but add another fold, a partial fold that is, that folds up to about 30 degrees halfway down on the side of one of the folding parts. This is really hard to do on audio. Add a pop-out kickstand on the back and a sort of keyboard thing that flips around from the back. It's a clear keyboard that really just marks where the keys will be on the tiny quarter of the screen that lays flat on the table. This is really hard to do on an audio podcast. Sorry about that. Well, I hope you're following me here. Anyway, this concept was shown off in a video. Hey, video, how about that? From Twitter user Fold Universe. And I gotta say, I'm kind of into it. Basically, this is a foldable that folds in half for easy storage and adds a second fold to turn itself into a keyboard, making this a productivity machine, potentially. I'm digging it. And if I'm honest, I'm hoping when and if this comes to market that I'll be able to play with it. TCL is just doing some awesome stuff this year, and it's exciting to think what they'll ultimately reveal. Speaking of foldables, if you've been thinking about trying out a foldable, but you're not quite sold on the idea, Samsung is giving you 100 days to try out a foldable and return it if you're not convinced. But there is a catch. If you trade in a device to get a discount on the foldable, the price of that trade-in will be returned in Samsung.com credit. I guess that makes sense, but if you buy a Samsung G Flip 5G, which I may or may not be buying to return it within 100 days, you'll get your money back. This is like three months of trying out a foldable phone risk-free. Well, actually, I guess there is some risk, like if you break the phone, that's probably going to be a $1,000 mistake, so it's not entirely risk-free, but, you know, it's kind of risk-free. Personally, I think it's a heck of a deal, but the catch is that you have to throw away a phone that you don't care about and a willingness to buy Samsung stuff at Samsung.com if you want the discount. Or you have to have $1,100 that you don't mind Samsung holding on to for you, you know, for three months. Neither of those is very appealing unless you genuinely want to buy a foldable phone. And, uh, yeah, I guess that's what Samsung is counting on. Well, that makes sense. By now, you've probably heard about this thing called the coronavirus pandemic. It's this thing that's been going on for about a year or so. Well, one of the big efforts to combat the spread of the disease has been in contact tracing. Specifically, Apple and Google worked together to develop a contact tracing app that would tell you if you had been in close proximity to someone who had been exposed to the virus for an extended period of time. E.g., you let your guard down, so now go get tested, you fool. Google and Apple weren't the only ones developing these apps, but they were by far the most notable, and it turns out that these apps were an abject failure due to one problem that literally anyone who has ever spent any time in this industry could have anticipated. People never downloaded it, and those who did download it never used it, and those who did use it found its reliance on Bluetooth to be migraine-inducing. But at the end of the day, very few people, like single-digit percent of people, actually use this app. 
I don't know, maybe if they had gamified the app, like you get five points for every time you leave your house and you don't come into contact with someone with COVID, then you can trade in points for like stickers or some crap. I don't know. What I do know is that the apps that you have to use are a pain in the butt. And while I understand Google and Apple's need for privacy, this lack of adoption was entirely predictable. And as Andrew Martinick at Digital Trends points out, the app may have actually hindered efforts to combat the actual virus. Basically, the app had to be built and maintained and information campaigns launched and basically that was all dollars that could have been spent in other combative efforts so we're going to file this one under not so great moves google and apple so if you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you know I'm a little crazy about space and specifically about the Perseverance rover, also known as Percy, which I found out today. And if this is your first time on the podcast, welcome! Anyway, these next three stories are all about our favorite little rover, though curiosity does still hold a special place in my heart. You might have seen footage from Perseverance landing on Mars, including a parachute that slowed its descent to about 200 meters per second. Well, NASA showed off an upward view of the parachute from the rover, and folks around the internet noted an unusual pattern of red and white in the parachute. And it took those internet folks just under six hours to decipher the hidden message inside the parachute. It turns out the alternating red and white pattern spells out, Dare Mighty Things, which is the motto of the Jet Propulsion Lab in California where the rover was designed and built. Along with the motto is the latitude and longitude of JPL and California. It's really kind of neat. And another Easter egg that scientists worked into the rover comes in the form of holes in the wheels of Perseverance. The holes actually serve a purpose. It's just so tiny rocks don't get stuck inside the wheels of the rover and potentially jam things up. But the holes themselves spell out JPL in Morse code. And the result is, as the rover drives around the surface of Mars, it's going to be printing out JPL in Morse code on the surface of another planet. God, this nerdy crap gets me cranked. Anyway, let's get to the main event. NASA created an interactive 360-degree view of the rover landing site on YouTube. It's basically a minute-long video, but you can scroll left and right and down and see the rover with the surface of the planet in full color in all directions. It's just really just the coolest thing, and I could play with it for hours. Just the fact that there is so much imagery coming from the surface of another planet. And by the way, like two days ago, I read that it had already sent around 30 gigabytes of data, but just the fact that so much imagery is available should get the geek flag waving in anyone. So this is also probably not the last time you've heard about Perseverance. I'm happy or sorry to say. Twitter is still trying to figure out how to make money, and now it's going to try to do so with the introduction of super follows. These are basically tweets that can be walled off behind a paywall so people who really like to follow you can get access to all of those tweets. Cool. But honestly, I don't think my tweets are insightful or funny enough to warrant a separate paid tier. That being said, as far as I can tell, all of my tweets will always be free, or at least I'm pretty sure they will be. I just can't imagine what kind of content I'd put on Twitter that would justify a paywall. You know who in the industry will love this? Leakers. Evan Blass, a.k.a. EvLeaks, has already set up a Patreon to finally monetize his leaks, and frankly, it took him long enough, so I can imagine him setting up some kind of paywall for his content. Will that be a paywall in addition to his Patreon? 
I don't know. That being said, I'm sure some creators will look forward to this and will use it. I imagine there are a ton of creators who will set up memberships or super follower plans, but I can promise you those bonus tweets better be more than just uploading. But then again, I would imagine that there are some creators out there who people would just enjoy their content and would be happy to kick in a few bucks. To them, that's great. Me? I already have a way to ask for money and get some decent value, I think, and it's at patreon.com slash benefit of a doubt, and I thank you. And finally, earlier this week we got a report on Reddit about Chuck Walker, a man who flipped his bobcat bulldozer on his property near Kansas City, Missouri. And this Google Pixel's crash detection features worked swimmingly, alerting the authorities and summoning them to his home. When Chuck regained consciousness, he found that his Pixel had been thrown from the vehicle as well as one of his earbuds, but the other one remained in his ear. And through that, he heard someone from emergency services letting him know that help was on the way. He had no idea how they even knew he was in trouble. It was only later in the hospital that he recalled setting up crash detection on his Pixel 4 XL. Frankly, it was a Pixel 4 XL. He's lucky the battery didn't die before crash detection kicked in. Anyway, all told, instead of being stuck upside down in a flipped bobcat for hours and hours waiting for help, he only had to wait about 11 minutes. Fortunately, his injuries were minor and he has since recovered, but it's still a great tale about how things like crash detection can save you months after you've forgotten about them. And frankly, more phones should have that. Android Police has the full story and you should check it out. And by all means, if you have a Pixel, Set up that feature right now. Backend application API bugs attachment DevOps backend frameworks backward component oriented natural language software blue text editor bookmark Boolean web server. Welcome to Tech Yeah. This week on Tech Yeah, we're actually going to report on one more news story because it leads us into our Tech Yeah pick of the week. Popular Mechanics reports that the Skunk Works division of Lockheed Martin will start testing a new type of aircraft soon. Skunk Works is the division responsible for many of Lockheed Martin's successes over the years, including the U-2 bomber and the SR-71 Blackbird. This project is called Speed Racer, though reporters are unclear if that's a code name that means fast aircraft, or it was just developed quickly, and maybe it doesn't mean anything at all. But the cool thing about this aircraft is that it was entirely designed using a process known as digital engineering. Digital engineering is a process in which engineers use software to construct a digital twin of an actual aircraft being built so that they can test the twin to figure out how the craft will fly or stand up to stresses, etc. Basically, you're using software to put an aircraft through all kinds of variables without having to physically reconstruct the machine when and if it fails. This allows engineers like Skunk Works to develop and build an aircraft much quicker and much more cheaply. For example, the Air Force used digital engineering to develop and build a new kind of fighter jet in under one year. Most planes take years, if not decades, to design and build. During that time, fighting environments can change drastically, so reducing design and build time can dramatically affect an aircraft's ability to work under current mission specifications. So what does this have to do with tech? Yeah, well, I believe I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but over last summer, 
I read and quite enjoyed the book Skunk Works by Ben Rich. Ben was the operational head of Skunk Works for decades and basically the father of modern stealth technology. And the book is a fascinating look at the development of two key aircraft that Skunk Works produced, the U-2 bomber and the SR-71 Blackbird. You'll get inside Skunk Works and discover how stealth technology was initially developed and how it changed everything. You'll hear from Rich, of course, who wrote the book, but also various contractors, military leaders, test pilots, and more. It's a really great book, and I highly recommend it. Naturally, there is a link in the show notes and on benefitofadow.com, so give it a look. I promise you, you'll thank me. Our next guest on the podcast is a CEO of a company that I've been following for quite some time now. Refraction AI is a startup based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, who is bringing its own unique take to last mile deliveries. And that unique take comes in the form of Rev1, or at least... That's what it was when I first picked them up. It's the delivery robot. My guest joined up with Refraction AI just this past October as CEO. He's a University of Texas and Carnegie Mellon alum and serves on several boards of directors and advisors. And now he's here to talk some robots. Luke Schneider, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here because I, I first picked up... Oddly enough, um, a couple of years ago when I was uh, attending CES with Android Authority, they said, we want you to uh, find out everything you can about robots. And I said, okay, it's not that kind of Android, but sure, I'll do that. And, uh, and, Rev, and uh, Rev was and Refraction AI was one of the uh, attendees at the time. And I noticed that they were located, I'm based in Chicago, and I noticed that they were based it just right down the highway in, um, in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And it was my goal at the time to go to Ann Arbor and actually receive a delivery from Refraction. And I still plan to do that just as soon as I could actually leave the house. Um, but in the meantime, I thought it would be great if we could, uh, if we could talk a little bit about Refraction and Rev and, uh, and, and you and all that other fun stuff. So, um, so why don't we start off with... Um, I'm just kind of curious, you recently joined up with Refraction, and I'm just kind of wondering, what was it about Refraction that drew you to the company? Yeah, there's there's a lot to like with Refraction, as you yourself found out firsthand, I think, with your first encounter. Um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for me is I've been around this space of mobility uh, for a very long time. The, the point where, tra- where technology and mobility um, and transportation all come together and, and mostly in the early stage startup kind of realm. When you look at companies like Refraction, um, you, you know, after a while, you start to look for something that is unique or different or defensible or in some other way, um, just just um, innovative. The neat thing about Refraction is that the founders, uh, Matt uh, Johnson Roberson, uh, who you, have, I believe, had on the show or at least uh, spoken to, he and his, his co-founder, Ram Vasudevan, their idea was that this robot in the last mile delivery space really needed to be something more designed to, to perform the tasks of, of last mile delivery. And, and, and they were a little bit disappointed with the solutions they had seen to date. So when they described the company to me, it was it was less about coming up with uh, unbelievably complicated or technologically advanced um, perception systems and, and HD map linkups and solving the bigger um, autonomy or autonomous vehicle problems, and more about focusing something practically, cost effectively, and in in almost a volume oriented way towards last mile delivery. 
Um, and, and when you start a company well by design, as they say, meaning the product is designed with a high degree of product market fit uh, and, it, and you're able to actually grow the business and scale the business you know, without having to tap every sovereign wealth fund known to man, well, then you come up with a, a pretty interesting idea. And, and from there, it's about execution. That's what got me excited. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, it occurs to me, like, as you're answering that, we never actually talked about Rev1 or what it actually was. So uh, why don't we just go ahead and back up a little bit and uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what Refraction does in Ann Arbor and places elsewhere, hopefully sometime in the near future. But uh, why don't we talk a little bit about what Rev1 and Refraction are looking to do? For sure. Um, <clears throat> I think that you know the simplest way to say it is um, – you know, last mile delivery in this country, whether it's the delivery of meals or groceries or pharmacy products or, um, you know, anything really, uh, it, it has historically happened using, uh, well, passenger vehicles or trucks and cargo vehicles that are driven by humans. Um, and, you know, it's, it's an horrendously inelegant solution. It is, they are big, they are dirty, they take up all kinds of bike lanes. They, uh, they clog our streets and our cities um, and, and, and ultimately are not the most effective way to transport last mile goods. So what, what Refraction does is using the Rev1 robot. And, and the robot itself is essentially a, um, a recumbent bicycle frame. So you think of a, of a, a three-wheeled recumbent bicycle uh, on top of which there's a pod um, that is the payload bearing unit on it and, and it's um you know it, it closes and it's sealed and weather tight um and within that there is a, a perception stack uh instead of um in in our case inexpensive mostly off-the-shelf components that allow us to allow the vehicle to see and then allow us to build um you know ever better autonomy and artificial intelligence around how the robot drives itself so um the the thing that makes the product really unique is on the one end of the spectrum, you have sidewalk robots, which probably a lot of people have seen. Uh, these are you know, six-wheeled vehicles that roll on sidewalks. They're really campus robots because they, they need interconnected sidewalks. Um, they can't deal with discontinuities very well. Um, and they also don't have a very big payload uh, because you don't want to share a sidewalk with something that's the size of a car. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, the, the, the people solving the full-on autonomous vehicle program or problem. And those are folks like Waymo and Argo Cruise. Um, those are high mass, high velocity vehicles uh, that require you know, very, very advanced artificial intelligence and, and autonomy systems. So they don't kill people. Gotcha. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly right. So the Rev1 is unique in the sense that um, because of its size and its low mass and its relatively low velocity, 12 to 15 miles per hour, it's not going to kill anybody. And it has the ability to stop on a dime um, and it also, because of the fact that we're not carrying human passengers or you know, transporting the most precious cargo we have, we're transporting goods. Um, it allows us to dramatically constrain that autonomy problem and solve it with lower cost elements. Um, by doing that, we're able to then, um, you know, to, to, to spread Rev1s ever more <laughs> prolifically. Uh, and, um, and, in, and in so doing, provide a much more readily accessible last mile delivery platform for people. Awesome. So um, does Refraction consider itself a robotics company or a delivery company or some amalgamation of both? Well, um, yeah, it, it, as my history will attest, um, I'm never one to take on the easy problems. And, and, the, and the answer to those three questions is yes. 
So (laughs) (laughs) Refraction is a robotics company. Uh, We develop autonomy systems, we develop our platform, um, and and that's sort of one of our core competences and and our goals is we want to be able to recognize applications for last mile delivery as they emerge um, faster than anybody. We also want to be able to configure a solution to address those to be first to market with a solution. To do that, we have to be good at building robots. We have to be good at purpose building, um, but we also have to maintain a flexible platform that allows us to deploy quickly um, and, and test and see, does this work and is it an appropriate solution to this particular problem? At the same time, we really operate our revenue and business model is last mile delivery as a service. And that could change over time for sure. But for now, um, the goal is regardless of what you're trying to deliver, as long as it falls within the legal guidelines, uh, we want to be the easiest to access, most affordable, um, just just um, most reliable form of last mile transportation uh, that you can plug into. And we'd like to make it just that simple. Plug into it um, and, uh, and, and simply pay and go. Enjoying this interview? Did you know that there are over 10 more minutes of time where we talk that ended up on the bonus version? The full interview is available to all of my patrons right now over at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. For as little as $2 per month, you can get in on the ground floor of this podcast and help support the show. Plus, you'll get additional benefits like access to my Discord, early podcasts, bonus live shows, and so much more. Just go to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. That's patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. And if you don't want to be a patron, that's okay too. Full interviews become available at the beginning of each new month. So for example, trimmed interviews in January will have the full versions on February 1st. I don't want you to miss out. Just head over to patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt and you can listen to the full interviews even if you don't subscribe because I still want you to love the show. There are more great options for helping me out at benefitofadowd.com slash support. That's benefitofthedowd.com slash support. You'll get a list of all my affiliations and monetization options all wrapped up in a neat little package at benefitofadowd.com slash support. I hope you visit. I hope you take in some full interviews. And as always, I thank you for listening. Typically, when you hear about autonomous uh, delivery, ro- just autonomous robots in general, you know, you, when you talk about the Waymos and when you talk about the the various companies, and I, typically you hear about like more automotive type autonomous stuff, not so much deliveries, but you usually hear about them in Phoenix or in San Francisco or places where the weather is a little bit more predictable. Now, I know your two founders were professors or grad students or something from the University of Michigan. So was setting up the company in Ann Arbor just a matter of local convenience or and and did they end up regretting that when winter rolled around or how did that uh how did that work out because i mean honestly it's it, if you look think about it it's kind of trial by fire if we can make this work in ann arbor we can make it work anywhere <laughs> so i mean yeah. was that more of a deliberate choice or was that just a a convenience of geolocation yeah sometimes you get both <laughs> you know i just it, it's a it, it's a kind of a happy accident or it's um you know or you could tell everybody it was brilliant by design in this case, um, both Matt and Ram, our co-founders, are uh, robotics professors at the University of Michigan, and they they co-direct um, an autonomous vehicles development lab as well. And and this is something that was really born out of out of a different um, 
out of, out of a different initiative that they were thinking about independently. The yeah. fact that it's in Ann Arbor is, you know, um, it is in no small part because they are both located there and they both teach there and, and, um, and contribute. But um, I think the way that we think about this and, and the way they initially conceived it is there should be um, a, a greater ubiquity of robotic delivery or of autonomous delivery units uh, in, in the U.S. There just should be. The technology exists. The conditions mm-hmm. exist. Uh, and anybody can think of any number of reasons why it's difficult or challenging to, to deploy them. Um, but snow should not be one of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes, yeah, you, you, you can't drive in the snow. And sometimes a robot can't drive in the snow, for sure. Um, our founders participated in the DARPA challenge and, you know, that was in the desert and even that was a challenge without snow. But you'll see, you'll see, there's some pretty great um, videos on our website of the Rev1 driving through snow and slush in a rain in a snowstorm. Um, And and the design is such that it actually does a pretty good job. Um, That said, you know, yes, we would get more days with less and fewer and fewer disruptions um, in the smile, sunbelt, you know, sort of states of the country. Uh, But, but, Ann Arbor has become and has really always been a bit of a test kitchen for refraction. The initial Rev ones ran, you know, up and down the streets. They still do. You can see them every day. They're just a part of daily life. Um, but uh, the fact that it gets snow, it gets rain, it gets four seasons. It it has sidewalks. It has you know concrete roads. It has um, you know asphalt roads. Uh, it, it has even some roads that are gravel that are not too far out. So it is a great place to put the robot through its paces. And I think that our, our team really feels the same way as I do about this, which is, you know what, we can't complain about our conditions. We just simply have to do our job. And mm-hmm. when we say we want to be, you know, accessible, uh, reliable and ubiquitous, you know, as a, as a last mile delivery option, that's kind of what that means. Reliable means we're not going to give you a, an excuse. I mean, if there's a tornado or some, you know, lunatic storm sure. in the White House or something, then we probably can't deliver to you. But, you know, the, 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 you know, uh, in the other, in the other, all the other uh, post office style <laughs> kind of weather related challenges, we should be able to deliver. So Washington D.C. is a little bit farther down the roadmap than at that point, at this point. Okay, got it. <laughs> Looks All like right. it's cooling down there. <laughs> it's a this is a timely interview. So, um, so um, who's your biggest competitor right now? You know, we have this conversation all the time. I'll I'll um I'll phrase it in a way that that'll kind of give you an idea of what we view our mission to be. Um, you know, way back when I first started, my, like during my first startup, um, uh, uh, an Oracle refugee named uh, Mark Benioff um, formed a company called Salesforce.com. And um, they were trying to figure out one of these things uh, that would make them differentiated against Tom Siebel and the like in, in, in the CRM space. Um, and, and they came up with a simple phrase that, you know, software is dead, you know, and, and no more software. And, and that became a rallying cry for an entire industry, the software as a service industry. And, and I think the way we think about things, um, you know, traditionally last mile delivery has been done, you know, using, um, using you know, car, passenger cars and trucks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and the reason is just because they were readily available. Um, they're super versatile. But if you think about owning uh, a passenger car or truck, um, you know, it's expensive. Most of us buy them about every five years. And they depreciate faster than anything you own. And you use them about 4% of the time if you commute to work with them. So 
you know, as a solution economically to delivering meals, it's terrible. I mean, it's just a really inefficient use of resources all around. If you add to that, you know, the, the time and energy it takes for a human to power and drive that car, well, it, it looks even worse. And hmm. so I think what we view as our competition is a paradigm or a mindset, right? That the, the, the way you deliver last mile goods and services is the way we've always known it for the last hundred years. Um, and, you know, we simply want to show and, and demonstrate a way more efficient way to do that. Um, and we think that's through automation, that's through the use of robots, and that's through purpose-built and purpose-designed products um, that, that, that help us do all of these things ever more efficiently. Because if you look at it, you know, penetration of delivery in grocery and food is about five or six percent. It's hardly any of it is done is delivered by, um, you know, in, in any means. And, and, and we're watching that number grow. We're watching 14, 15, 20 percent compound annual growth rates in some segments of last mile delivery. You know, to think that we're going to deliver all of that using electric vehicles that are battery powered and take up a, a lane on the road and have to park in the, you know, in a in a bike lane or in a uh, on a curbside, it, it's just not realistic. So I think that that's the way we think about the company, and that's I, I think anything that competes in that space is somebody that we eventually compete with. Okay, very cool. I've I've kept you I think a little bit longer than I said uh, than I said I was going to and I really really appreciate your time so I'm just going to leave you off with uh, this last question. What are some uses for Rev that people have approached you about that have surprised you? Like, oh, we never thought we could use it for that. Like, what are some of those? What are some of those like fun stories? Because I know one thing about product de- product development is you'll always be surprised by customers. You, you can never think of everything. So like, what are some of the more fun things that people have asked about, aside from taking a Rev home as a pet? <laughs> Which, by the way, seriously, I do want one. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the, um, you know, the pet thing was, was sort of one thing. I, I, I think that when, um, when people see them occasionally, <laughs> we've had people approach us with, you know, hey, is it, is it like a Roomba? It just, it's just for outside the house, you know? Can I have it go pick up my yard? Can I have it go and, you know, it, does it do whatever I need it to do? And, you know, it, it, that, that's always an interesting one. I, I think one of the biggest ones and one of the ones we're actually kind of excited about is, uh, you know, in, in every city, in every state, in every country in the world, there is an entrepreneur um, who is just believes that they're one good deal away from, from really, you know, building that business they've always wanted to build. And um, so what we hear a lot now is sort of this idea of could I could I procure for me my own fleet of Rev ones um, and you know and license for me the software and the and the whatever teleoperations we need to, to actually make it work uh, yeah. and and you know and and no I couldn't possibly tell you my brilliant application for this because you will just come in and steal it from me you know well of but, course <laughs> but. But um, you know, I, I at this point we're getting we're getting those with with greater and greater frequency, and I, and I have to tell you, I I, I kind of want to you know spin out that business model just because I'm so curious as to what is such a brilliant idea that I just I have to see what it is. <laughs> well, actually, I mean, now that you mention it, I do have this idea for an autonomous driving podcast uh, podcast uh, recording studio that could just drive out to your house. You record your podcast, and then it drives. I don't know what it does, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> that 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 idea kind of ran out of steam about halfway through. <laughs> well, maybe you know, you, we 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 could we could actually broadcast.
broadcast your podcast from a Rev One as it's driving to do its deliveries, you know, and 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 it suddenly becomes an advertising mechanism for you. I love it. I love it. It, it <laughs> sounds great. We're very the benefit of a doubt podcast is huge in Ann Arbor. So I, <laughs> I know. I think that would be uh, I think that would be amazing. Well, um, Luke Schneider, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to come on. I love talking about robotics, and surprisingly, and you're not the first robotics podcast that I've done. So, um, yes, just the best, right? I know, right? You guys are awesome. You guys are just you're so much fun to talk to. I love it, and I don't know anything about robotics, which is why I I follow the dumb guy in the room model for interviewing. So I'll just ask the questions and let the smart guy talk. So um, I want to thank you for being that smart guy on this particular occasion, and um, you know, hopefully we can uh, have you on again. And I'm going to Ann Arbor at some point, and I'm going to have food delivered to me by one of your robots. I don't know when, but it's going to happen. So right maybe on. we can talk at that time. Right on. That would be great. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Adam. It's been just a pleasure talking with you and look forward to hopefully doing it again soon sometime. So that's going to do it for this week's podcast. I would like to thank Luke Schneider for coming on and telling us all about robotics and last mile deliveries. And seriously, that guy is a good dude. I'm glad we had a chance to talk. I'd like to thank Cliff Thomas for all of his hard work behind the scenes. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving me the benefit of the doubt.